What time is it? I love it. What time is it? That sounds better. Welcome so much. I want to welcome especially all of the youth who are joining us tonight. Thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, I told the group last night, I don't know how to be a senior pastor, so I just do youth ministry for grown-ups. And uh, we are so thankful. I can't get over how rare and how awesome it is, just the multi-generational um, atmosphere that has been created by Bayshore. And uh, it, it, this is only like my fourth family camp that I've been a part of, but I feel like I'm coming home. And I just can't thank you enough for the spiritual gift of hospitality that you are showing and that, that you are on the lookout for all of us newbies. How many people for them, for you, is it your first year? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, like six of us. Seven. Oh, awesome. So good. Well, for those of you who were um, here last night, um, and mostly for the youth, too, we talked about how on social media, basically on every platform, the big thing is how many followers you have and who you follow and who's following you. And there's this great button on every social media platform that you can click to say unfollow. When you go too deep into following something when you've had enough. And I can't help but think that there's some more people who are here tonight that weren't here last night and God is simply saying, isn't it time you unfollow whatever that thing is? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a news source. Maybe it's unforgiveness that has literally been leading you around for your, the last decade. Maybe it's bitterness or anger. Whatever that is, if you need to bring that to the altar, we have have just simple three by five cards and pens all along the altar. At the end of the message, just know that is a time where you can come up and you can literally write down, make a commitment of what it is that God is saying, isn't it time for you to unfollow? If you bring a card forward, you can lay it on the altar, you can just put it down here on this side of the kneeling rail, you will be joining 79 people who brought stuff forward that I am praying through that uh, we will share categorically so you can see what it is that God is doing in the lives of people. If you are new though, there's somebody that I need to introduce you to that a lot of people have been asking me about. Two years ago, my wife Lee and I were leading Bible study and I was uh, one of the worship team. And three days before we came to Bayshore Family Camp, a one and a half year old arrived to Michigan from Guatemala, and his name is Felix. That picture on the left is taken at about 1230 because he arrived about midnight at Detroit Metro Airport. With Healing the Children, which is the organization that we work with, you go to baggage claim and you come home with a baby <laughs> who has nothing. Felix uh, 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 came to us from Guatemala, from an area um, in the northern part of the lower section of Guatemala called Barrias. And he's from a little village there, and he was born with a hole behind his nasal cavity. And uh, he was born that way. He was born at home. They did not see him in the local hospital for three months. He was born to this single mom in this village like that. And there's a couple other um, pictures I just wanted to share with you. Here's a neat little montage. 
Somehow my phone did this for me. And that's after the surgery. Anyway, just a little clip. I wanted to share a couple pictures. He went through surgery. They had to take his skull off to fix this thing and get a bone graft and put it behind his nose to block the brain fluid that's what filled that big bubble. And uh, they had to go in and do it twice. He was in ICU at Mott Children's Hospital, University of Michigan Hospital, for a month. And there's a couple other pictures. Here's him at Bayshore, though, with Aaron, who was worship leader that year. And then there's another one. There he is with Levi. And then there's another one, because you guys prayed for him. A part of Bayshore is now in this rural, mountainous area in Guatemala. Um, because of your prayers and because of your love and your welcome, he thrived here. We were all speaking Spanish to him, only to find out later, and you can flip into the next. Uh, he did not speak Spanish. His family speaks Mayan, as in ancient Mayans. And I was going to learn the language. So I got on Facebook, or not Facebook, I got on the website, and there was some old thing. There's a picture of a dog, and I'm like, I'm going to learn some vocabulary. And here's how they spell dog, X-apostrophe, T-I-apostrophe. <laughs> what do you do with that? I said, we'll send him home bilingual. He could speak about 100 English words. He spoke better than our kids. That's some pictures of him. That's after the first surgery on the left. And then here's him after the second surgery. Anna. Oh, no. Anna. Oh, no. Anna. Those eyes and those eyelashes were just amazing. There's a few other pictures because he really is a part of our family. And uh, we celebrated Halloween with him, and he loved the fall. That was his Halloween costume. What is he? A garden gnome. What else could he be? <laughs> it's just a little cotton. That's all it was. And my belt and uh, his little jacket. And then there's this other picture. He loved the snow. Now I know why he loves the snow after going to find him in Guatemala. But I'll tell you about that later. He loved, and it was sub-zero temperatures for weeks on end, this, the winter that he was here. And we would walk to our mailbox, and he would want to just keep walking. And uh, he loved the snow. And it, sometimes it would be late after dinner and people would drive by and like they would just give me these evil stares. Why are you walking around with a little one and three quarter year old in this weather? But he loved it. There's another thing that he would do and that was go shopping with us. Oh no, it's sideways. It's 90 Ready? degree, eh? Listen. He wasn't hard to find. And of course, a woman in our church works at the grocery store, so every time he'd go to the grocery store, he'd get a balloon. And uh, that was a big deal. We sent him back to Guatemala after six months, um, a day before his second birthday. And it was hard, but that's the goal, because he has a family there who loves him. Um, he's the ninth child that we've hosted. 
and uh, it's changed our lives. We never um, had that plan, but literally these um, kids, and sometimes they're teenagers, have, have so impacted our lives. We sent them home with a letter with two giant suitcases full of everything we could think of that they would need or want, and I got a, an email back from the Guatemalan doctor who said Felix and his family and his mother live in extreme poverty, and there was one name of a social worker in this city of Barrios, and so I uh, was able to find the social worker on Facebook. Her name is Sophie Loren Reyes. I'm like, Sophia Loren, whoa. Do you know how many Sophie Lorens there are in Central America? But we found her, and we were able to go visit. Um, the missions pastor at our church and I went for nine days. Um, all, all we knew was four social workers in Boreas who had helped Felix, but um, two weeks before we left, one of the social workers said, I went out to the village, which is 45 minutes outside of the town, and I talked to his mother and said, you're coming and she was so happy. We had all this set up, not knowing if we'd make this connection, but we did. And we had just the most amazing time. There's a couple pictures here. That's where he lives. They live at 6,000 feet. We went in late January, and I took one, like, rain, like windbreaker, raincoat kind of thing, the real skinny kind. It was 40 degrees. I froze my bohiney off. That's the greeting and seeing Felix after you. That's Felix's mom. She's um, tiny. And uh, uh, for nine days, we were the only pasty gringos that we saw. And uh, um, we're also like a, a head and a half taller even than the Mayan uh, men. She hugged me like that for four minutes, not saying anything. And then this is in their kind of living room where the little half gate is, is the, the door to the kitchen. And it's all just open. That's his mom, and those are a lot of his cousins. He has a lot of cousins. And they live in this uh, small village, and um, it's a cement floor, and there's chickens and turkeys and ducks that just walk through. The little boys pee on the wall, although they have an outhouse. But that's their village. The Kanhobal people have been um, uh, the victims of genocide for the past 35 years from the Guatemalan government. And they're in northern Guatemala and southern Mexico. And they have been forced into the mountains like this. It was an amazing, amazing story to learn. Um, you know, this was with all the border stuff. Um, I felt completely safe. We talked about it. And uh, um, it, was, it was powerful. There's a couple other things to see. That's his mom. I felt like an elephant. That's in their kitchen. And uh, it's just wooden boards, you know, like a granary kind of a thing. And uh, that's their home, and that's what they wear. It's traditional Mayan dress, but that's exactly what it is. And there's a couple other pictures here just to share. That's the hospital. That's the social worker I want you to pray for. Her name is Juanita Pascual. And she, um, we are able now to send some money so that Felix can go to the doctor because they couldn't afford to get a ride into the town in order to get to this hospital. And every time they go in, he now can get some more nutritious food that his mom brings home with him. There's a couple other pictures. That's the road to their village. See that chain across there? There's a padlock on there. For the whole village, there's only one key. That's their security chain for their village. 
There's a couple other pictures. It was Felix's third birthday. Their family had never had a birthday cake. So we got them this great big pastille, is what they call birthday cakes, like pastry. The grandma is on the left. She's 82. Don't mess with her. She is a substantial, brilliant, wonderful woman. Felix's mom is one of seven sisters and one brother. And there's, uh, they're eating the cake. He still has his glasses. He still has all his Michigan gear, Michigan State gear, and Detroit Tigers hat. He has lots of cousins, and he is so well-loved. And they are so vulnerable. They're literally on the side of a mountain of a rainforest. And I want you to pray God's strongest angels to surround him and his family. And yet, at the same time, this family has so much of what Americans are looking for. Um, you know, the, the studies all say loneliness is at epidemic proportions. And you know who the, the largest percentage of people dealing with loneliness are? People between the ages of 18 and 24 in the United States. Felix and his family are not lonely per se. But just because there's a lot of people around doesn't mean that you don't uh, often struggle with loneliness. That's the front door to their house. One of the days we visited, these four little heads were just peeking out. And so we just had to... Um, I just was captivated by that. You can see he's got his MSU gear. There's the old kitchen stove, and we bought him a new kitchen stove. They cost $225. It's still wood-burning stove, but it takes half the wood, so they only need half the time of gathering wood. And it's much better for their lungs um, and ventilation and for the environment in general. And then this is their bedroom. They sleep on boards. And... That's what people do around the world. That's what the majority of people do around the world. The, the numbers of displaced people that don't even have this. And what we were able to buy kind of foam sponge mattresses. They were the only mattresses in the whole city. But they're just kind of like the yellow foam that we would take camping. And so we were able to take them uh, foam mattresses that we bought in that city on the last day. Then um, this is uh, saying goodbye. That's outside. You can see some of the aunts and a lot of cousins and a lot of love. But one of the things that blew me away after our first visit is I said, why don't we pray before we go back to the city where we were staying in this mission house? And I started praying, and I had my eyes closed, and there were a number of adults around. And when we were done, there was a guy named Lester who was Guatemalan, not from uh, Barrias, who drove us, and he said, did you see that prayer or did you hear that prayer? And I heard it and it was the kind of prayer where everyone prays at once. And I thought it was all the other adults and he said it was all the children from the littlest children praying, pouring themselves out to God um, who is, there's grandma. Can you believe she's 82? She's amazing. And then Lester recorded our, the last prayer. I pray, God, that you would be with us. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us. I pray, God, that you would you can, be They're our praying God. in their heart language. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this family. I pray, Lord, that you would protect this family, that you will surround this family with love, that you will be in the relationships in the community, that you will help them to get their needs met. I pray, Lord, that this would be something 
think of the beacon of hope for the community, that you would help them, and Lord, that they would be fully yours. We put them in your hands, Lord, we pray for That's Felix, their living keep them safe. We pray, God, thanksgiving for how much you've done for him through the doctors and so many people working, and how through this little boy you could connect us in this way. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you would be completely for life and for health and for peace and for our knowing. It was one of the most amazing times of prayer I ever had because I was so surrounded by these angels um, who, were, who were there with us. And I'm not like a, I'm buying an angel kind of guy. But literally, that's what I felt. And we said goodbye. In some ways, it almost felt like going back 5,000 years. You know what I mean? Walking into the mists, into this village. And that's them saying goodbye in the fog. And uh, that's the uncle and the cousins who are teenagers. Felix, the grandma's in the back. And, and uh, I just covet your prayers for that family and for that village. The name of the village is La Libertad. And this was a picture I, I took of them as they were leaving. Didn't know it was going to be like National Geographic, like amazing. The colors there are just incredible. And that's a picture I got um, just two months ago that the social worker sent. And you can see he's starting to look older. Um, and there's, I think, one more of an update. So that's baby Felix. And, and uh, for all of you who asked, there you go. I'll post stuff on my Facebook page if you want to look me up. Um, it's a, because I think Juanita is going to continue to send updates. But keep them in your prayers. You know, my goal, as I was thinking about uh, this week, is that we meet Jesus. Some of us, maybe, for the first time. Some of us in a whole new way. And that not only do we meet Jesus here, but that we... We are charged to be sent out, to send, to, to send us back, that God would send us back to our towns, to our families, to our messes, to our schools, to our communities, to our churches. You know, for those of you that didn't hear last night, the Church of Jesus Christ is the most diverse gathering of people around the planet. It is the most inclusive gathering on the planet of people because of God's love. And so our theme of launch and us being launched this week is so, so good. But you know, in order for me to be launched, you know how the rockets fall off when, when a rocket ship like the Apollo 50 years ago they launch the big rocket, and there's all of these booster rockets that get it out of the atmosphere, and then they detach and burn up in the atmosphere. There's stuff that we need to let go of in order to go where God wants us to go. There's things in your life that you need to be done with in order to allow God um, access to you. So that, so that, because there's people in your life that God wants to reach. And God's going to reach him through you a thousand times better than God would reach him through me or through one of the other leaders who are here this week. God has created you just for that. And God wants to intersect people's lives through you. 
And the amazing thing is the Holy Spirit isn't just for old people whose grandparents grew up at Bayshore. The Holy Spirit is for three-year-olds. The Holy Spirit is for six-year-olds in first grade. The Holy Spirit isn't just for people when you get your driver's license or you get old enough to drink. The Holy Spirit is for a seventh grader every bit as much as for a 70-year-old. God wants to reach our world, and not just when we get to a certain age. But he wants to reach our world through children. He wants to reach our world through the youth. He wants to reach our world through every generation. And I need some healing in my life from my attitudes that say anything different. From my selfishness that simply gets in the way from the physical stuff that we deal with. And I'm in a time in my life where I'm saying, what's next, God? What's next? You know, those of us who have grown up in the church, those of us who may have been Christians for 40 years, the question is, are you a 40-year-old Christian or are you a one-year-old Christian 40 times over? It is my prayer that you and I would grow in our faith so that when we say what's next, it is a true step forward, meaning we are moving into uncharted territory. You know, everything I've ever done has been outside my comfort zone. Everything I've ever done that has been amazing has been outside my comfort zone. Asking Lee Goodwin to marry me was outside my comfort zone. It's the best thing I ever did. I guess second best, asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior was number one. But when it came time to saying yes, when this strange woman with a strange accent was calling, saying, we have a baby that you need to take. Her name is Sarah, and she is two years old from Guyana. I'm like, what? I checked with Lee, the best th thing we ever did. My favorite thing we've done as a family is host these kids. And I want to look at maybe um, a verse that you've heard or a story that you know for what it could mean for your next step so that you're not just a one-year-old baby Christian for two years, four years, 20 years, 70 years. And it may be outside your comfort zone. It's from the Gospel of Mark. If you brought your Bibles with you, you know the Bible is 66 ancient documents. And I said this in my Bible study, but I thought um, some of you guys would find this interesting. Do you realize there is one book that is excluded from the wiki bestseller list? every single week, and it's the Bible. Not necessarily because they're anti-Christian, but because the Bible is the bestseller every single week. So they just took it off the list. The Bible is also the first book that is banned, B-A-N-N-E-D, that is um, destroyed whenever a totalitarian government comes into a country or takes over a country. Whether it's a fascist government, a communist government, a, a dictatorship, they feel threatened by the Bible. My question is, why do we see it as that important? And it becomes illegal. There are still many dozens of countries in which it is illegal to have a Bible. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark. Mark was a young man. So I think it's cool you guys um, who are in the youth group are here. Because Mark, as a young man, was the translator for Simon Peter. Simon Peter traveled with Mark. Simon Peter did not speak Greek very well. They went all the way up to Rome. And in Rome, Peter was killed. He was martyred for his faith. And everybody freaked out. But John Mark realized 
he had been translating the story, the account of Jesus for years. And so he took the, those accounts and put them together in what became the first gospel written by a young man. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark when they wrote theirs. They loved the Gospel of Mark, but they realized there were some things missing that they could add. And John wrote his Gospel uh, a couple decades after that. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And in my mind, it's, it's kind of unbelievable that they kept this story in the Bible, because it's tough. As Jesus started on his way toward Jerusalem, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Bring us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In other words, for the last time. He's there to give his life as ransom for everyone and for their sin. And so Mark writes, as Jesus started on his way toward Jerusalem, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Jesus is setting out on a journey, and it's the kind of journey when he knows he will not be back alive. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's packed and ready to go. The kind of packing that you do when you know you're not coming back. He had sold his table, his chairs. Knowing Jesus, he probably had one of those yard sales. Take one for yourself and one for your neighbor. It's Jesus. You know, if you're going on this journey with Jesus to Jerusalem, you have to pack like you're not coming back. You're all in. It's all or nothing. And so Jesus set off with his disciples. Imagine being one of his disciples in this scene. As Jesus starts on his way in the journey, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Isn't it interesting? The day that Jesus puts his foot on the road where he sets his face toward Jerusalem, the road to Jerusalem, the road to Calvary, the road to the cross, to his torture and to his death. Interesting that the day Jesus puts his foot on the road to Jerusalem, a man ran up like it was his last chance. No one hardly runs in the gospel. Yes, the dad of the prodigal son ran to meet his son. But when was the last time you ran? And I mean not for exercise. When did you last run when you saw the little kid was in trouble, about to touch the stove, or heading toward the street? Run, hard. This is an ambulance. What's this man running for? 
How come he's now running? I would probably ask myself as one of Jesus' disciples. Why is he running now when Jesus is setting off on the final entrance to Jerusalem in his death? And here he is at the last minute. You know, if I, if I were there with Jesus, I'd say, sorry, we've done that hymn. The altar call's over. Sorry, you missed it. What are you doing just coming now? What about us who have been with him for all these years? You know, great men run, never run in public in this culture that we're looking at. Running is when everybody stops to see what's going on. And here he comes running. And then he kneels before Jesus. He makes a big deal of Jesus. He does it with humility. He does it with worship. Kneeling before Jesus. Now I have a problem with him. Like it's too little, too late, and putting on a show. Now, I know that's my own problem. I know that's my own personal issues. My own stuff's going on, but I don't like him. He's kind of doing everything just right. I know that. But I'm one of those disciples who's behind Jesus. This guy's facing Jesus, and that means he's got his back to the rest of the trip. This man facing Jesus is kneeling with his back to the cross. Do you see there's a problem here? First of all, he's in Jesus' way. He's become a problem. Jesus would have to trip over him because he went and he kneeled right in front of Jesus with humility and everything. Is it possible that worshiping Jesus, this appearance, this great humility before Jesus means you're in the way? Could we still be in his way? of what he's seeking to bring. Jesus said to his disciples, not just to worship him, Jesus calls you to follow him. And now he, this man's become a stumbling block and he's going nowhere. He's in front of Jesus and he's knelt down in front of him. Jesus' own disciples, Peter, James, and John, had already tried that on the Mount of Transfiguration. They said, let's just sit here, Jesus, and build a worship tower to you. That's what I would feel like if I were one of those disciples that were with them. And here comes this new guy. I'd say, somebody get him out of the way. And then what does the guy do? He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Huh. Do you really think you can do stuff? Do you really think you can do to inherit don't you know it's a gift? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The way I inherited possessions from my dad? The way I inherited my camels or my goats or my cows? My dad who inherited them from his grandfather? And you know God has no grandchildren. Eternal life is a gift given directly to each of us. Whatever your parents have said, you don't inherit it other than from Jesus himself to you. And that's why we're looking at close encounters with Jesus this week. First of all, Jesus says, first of all, why do you call me good? And then he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Jesus lists the six commandments, the last six commandments. The first four commandments have to do with your relationship with God. 
The second six commandments are about your relationship with your neighbor. That's why he sums them all up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> uh, confession time. I would probably do better if I didn't have to deal with my neighbor. If it were just me and you, God, we'd be so good. I'd be a good Christian that way. Have you ever noticed it's so much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one when something's going on around you? And here's this man, this stumbling block of a man. I'm still in the disciples' bad attitude. You know, the world talks about judgment and feeling judged. And you can see how easy it could be. This man, kneeling man, back to the cross man. And he says, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy, since I confirmed the promises for myself. Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> now I don't just have a problem with the guy. I've got a problem with Jesus. Jesus has no standards. What about us who've been following him for so long? I have so many problems. Did he love him or did he like him? Like, what's the Greek word on that? Jesus should not love him. He should be irritated with him. This last minute, all humble and worshipful, back to the cross, in the way guy. You know, the Greek word that Mark uses here is agapason, uh, which is where we get the Greek word agape. Jesus looked at him and he agaped him. He loved him. You know, in English, we just have one word. I love my wife. I love my pizza. You just guess at what I really mean. In the Greek word, word language, there's at least three. There's eros, which is the love that comes of the human feelings. Emotional, romantic, beautiful love of the romantic kind. There's philia, like Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love, the love of friendship between two people. You know, our world gets so messed up because they just lump everything with love having to do with sex. Love is not just a strong version of like. Love is something all its own. And the word that we're looking at here is agape, unconditional, one way, without bounds kind of love, with no no plan for any other thing to come back at us. And this is the love that God has for us that sent Jesus to the cross in our place. Unconditional love. Do you know, do you know that there is a place in God's heart that only you can fill? That's how much he loves you. Let me say that again. There is a place in God's heart that only you can fill. That's how loved you are. And that's what Jesus is saying. He agaped him. He looked at him, and he had this unconditional love for him. And this language is helpful and healing for us. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He didn't have to keep those commandments to be loved. He just loved him. The problem is we don't know how to love unconditionally. Most of the time, our love is conditional. We play what I call emotional ping pong. And if you're married, you know just what I mean. Oh, she did this for me. I guess I better do this for her. 
you love me, so I love you back. You one-up me, so I one-up you back. Now you owe me, and that's what we're used to. And this love, that's this beautiful oneness turns into this emotional ping-pong that we play with each other. That's what we're used to. I'll love you as long as you love me back, as long as I'm getting something out of this. You know, for some of us, it's so foreign. We don't know how to relax when we're the recipients of this kind of love. It's a strange place to be, no matter who you are. So in verse 21, Mark writes, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Hey, only one thing. You only lack one thing. You're a lucky guy if it's just one thing that you lack. And it's this, go up on, my, up on your feet. Get up, go back the way you came. Sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. But, but won't they waste it, Jesus? Wouldn't it be better to give it to you? You need to hear those words. These are sobering words. Like Paul says, be sober in your spirit. But Jesus says, do that, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Go, sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. Go. The things that you own, sell. That's a good thing, right? Then you'll have this money in your wallet. Jesus says, though, now give it to the poor. Well, is that the best investment? What's he asking here? He's saying when you give it, you know you won't get it back. You know you won't. You might as well say, pour it down the drain. Offer everything. And his face fell. And he went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. But here's what's really been messing with me this summer. And it goes into what Jesus is saying here to this rich young ruler as, as he be, has been labeled throughout the centuries. God's not satisfied to be the top of your priority list. God's not satisfied just to be the top of your priority list. In other words, yes, I love God most. Check, and now I can get on to da-da, 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 da-da. God's not satisfied being the top of your priority list. God wants to be the center of your life. So he's with you in every priority. God's not satisfied with being the top of your priority list. You know, I used to think, yes, God's number one in my life. Awesome. But when I think like that, then I move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And what God's saying to this man, and I think what God's saying to us is, don't just keep me at the top of the list. Yes, the top of the list is better than the bottom of the list, better than not being on the list. But don't just keep me at the top of your list. That could be the very thing that is preventing you 
from the next step that you find in Christ. From what your next step is. Have we offered everything? You know, I was talking with my men's group on, on two Thursdays ago. No, it was the 20-something group that we have at our church. And Noah Melifont said, you know, if you only give God 95%, that 5% will take over your life and you'll be miserable. In other words, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Which is it going to be? Could we this week unfollow what we need to unfollow that's long overdue? And could we practice making him Lord of all and maybe get our footing and get a little traction so that as we go back, we don't revert the way that we usually do or the way I should say I usually do. We love the blessings of God. The, this man must have loved that he was wealthy, that he was able to help people. But we forget the one who gave us the blessings so often. Now we assume that's the end of the story. But I want to take um, a chance. Because I, a friend of mine shared, she was doing this as a Bible study. And she said, now finish the story for everybody. And everybody in the little group that she was with went off for an hour and wrote the rest of the story. A 92-year-old gentleman wrote this. What if? So this is one of those what-if stories. The rich man gets up, up from kneeling, and he goes home. Now, we assume that he's completely done with Jesus, but this 92-year-old man said, what if he goes home and he slept for half the day grieving because letting go of your stuff is going to cause grief? But then the next morning, he started putting a price on all his stuff. And when he did that, his wife took the kids and left. And when his father saw that he was selling the land, his father disowned him. And he sold it. And he started giving the money to the poor. And there was a long line of the poor, and the peasants kept coming as he handed them the money. And he gave them all the money and ended up with nothing. And he himself now was poor. And he started fo following Jesus. Jesus had already gone ahead of him. And he started asking for bread. And as he was asking, he'd say, has Jesus been through here? Have you seen Jesus pass by? And he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Only now, he's one of the poor people. Once he had been wealthy, and now he's so thin and so beat up, there was just one thing he kept remembering he had nothing to hang on to but this. I've always kept the commandments. He had always kept the law. But he's forced to go three or four days without food. And before he passes out, he steals bread. And for the first time in his life, he's broken a commandment. And he was caught. And he was sentenced to death. And he ended up condemned to die as a thief. One of two thieves on a cross next to Jesus. And this man said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As for you, what's the one thing you lack that's keeping you from the healing, that's keeping you from your next step, that's keeping you from growing one year older, more mature in your faith? What's keeping you from the abundant life that Jesus is calling us to for eternal life? Is it something out there? Is it something in here? Because you're following Jesus, because you're facing the cross, that you may not be a stumbling block. There is a spiritual battle here. Don't you know when that baby was born with that thing that blocked his eye, Satan thought he had won. Satan thought, I've got them now. And this was a curse to that family who were doing their best. They loved on Felix. But what Satan thought was going to be a victory for him, God turned around. Felix's mom heard about this clinic, a cranial facial clinic that the University of Michigan was doing in Guatemala City, 15 hours from where she lived. She never even made it to the nearby city. But she did not, the radio was all they had in their house. And she made it there. And what Satan wanted to do for bad, God caused for good. Felix touched many of our lives. He touched a ton of lives in Dexter, Michigan. And then because we're able to now, their whole village is, can be blessed because of this connection that we would have never had otherwise. Why is it that we end the story with, oh, that's enough for me. He went away sad, that's the end. Never knowing what God's next move is going to be. Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said this, how hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words. See how much easier it would have been if Mark had left this story out? But it was vital to getting the message to us 2,000 years later even. Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, For people, it's impossible. But for God, all things are possible with God. What is it that's been impossible for you that's been staring you in the face, that's been keeping you from your next step? We're going to take some time for prayer. The altar will be open. If you need to name what you're unfollowing, write it on a card and just set it on this side. But it's time to soak in whatever it is. Maybe it's that you've had God at the top of your priority list, but not at the center of your life. This is the invitation. Would you bow your heads with me?